Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, guys, I have a lot of energy. I'm used to speaking to kids. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, there it is. I am so, I like the clap, that's nice. I'm so excited to be with you this morning and to share with you what God has put on my heart. I'm not up here on a Sunday morning usually very often because I'm in the back um, in the clubhouse with our elementary students, but I'm so grateful for this opportunity to preach to grown-ups in big church. This is gonna be awesome, I'm excited. Yes, I still call it big church. I feel like there's some things when you're a children's pastor you just never stop saying. Um, Over the past few weeks, we've been in this Leading Forward series, which is all about how we can live out the forward part of our vision of investing in future generations. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at how if we want to lead the next generation, we have to be first leading ourselves and make our relationship with Jesus our biggest priority. How does this help us lead forward? Because future generations come to know Jesus by knowing people who know and love Jesus. We can't help other people to have a relationship with Jesus if we don't first have a growing relationship with him ourselves. And then last week, Pastor Alex talked about how we need to stay focused on the the mission of reaching lost people. We need to see God's love for others and be dedicated to reaching all people because the gospel is for everyone, not just people who are exactly like us or who think exactly like us. Jesus came to bring good news to people of all backgrounds and all ages. So today, we're going to continue the conversation about what it means to lead forward by talking about one of my favorite things ever, investing in relationships. I, you may know this about me, I'm a people person. I absolutely love friendship, I'm all about it. And I love how Jesus models what it looks like to build relationships and invest in the next generation. So this morning we're gonna take a look at the people that Jesus chose to invest in, how he poured into them, and what that looks like for us today. Now before we get started, it is family worship. So I wanna invite all the kids to come up here and join me on stage. And I want you guys just to come, don't be shy. I know there's lots of you in there. I need my my tiny humans, come on up. And you're gonna sit right here on the lower part of the stage. And as they come up, we're gonna hear our story today like we would in the clubhouse. Okay guys, come, come sit. Yep, we got lots of, and turn, turn around and face me, face the other way. Turn around, there we go. Don't don't face them, face me. There we go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, so we're gonna hear the story like we would in the clubhouse, and I also have some extra friends who are gonna come up and join me as well. So let me give you guys some context, let me give you some background of what we're about to read, what we're about to hear. Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River by his cousin, John the Baptist. And from there, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. So after this, Jesus began his ministry and he went into a a region, an area called Galilee, and he began to preach. And he went around announcing, the kingdom of God is near, so repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and believe the good news. So our scripture for today is found in the book of Mark, 
chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, if you want to follow along in your Bibles. But here, what we're about to see is Jesus is beginning to gather a community around him that he would teach to become sharers of this good news to help spread the news that the kingdom of God is near. All right, we ready? You guys ready? You sure? Are you ready? All right, let's dive in. So one day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And as Jesus walked along the water's edge, he could feel the cool breeze against his face. I wonder what that felt like. He could feel the breeze. He could also, he could also um, feel the mist of the water on his skin. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's not supposed to get me. That's just supposed to get the kids. <laughs> and let's be honest, it probably smelled a little fishy. I mean, it probably smelled like fish. <laughs> okay, so this was a beautiful freshwater lake. It was also a pretty busy location. A lot of fishing took place here. And a famous historian actually recorded that up to 330 boats fished on the Sea of Galilee. That's a pretty big body of water. So among those who fished on this, this lake for a living were two brothers named Simon. He would later go by the name Peter and Andrew. And as Jesus walked by, they were throwing their nets onto the water. Now, they weren't fishing like we might think of fishing today. Like when I think of fishing, I think you get a pole and you put a little worm on it and then you cast it and you reel it back in. They were fishing with nets. So let me explain to you what this would have looked like. The nets that they used often had like these lead weights around the edges. So they would throw the net onto flat water and the lead weights would cause the net to sink over the fish. And then the fishermen would pull this cord, this string around the, the net to catch them. So these nets were kind of a big deal. They needed to be kept in good condition. So the fishermen would often spend time washing them out, getting the weeds out. They would fix and repair the holes if there were holes in it, because you can't fish if you've got a hole in your net, right? So as Jesus saw Simon, Peter, and Andrew throwing their net, <laughs> he called out to them, come, follow me, and I will teach you how to fish for people. So the Bible says that they left their nets at once and they, they ran off and they went to follow Jesus. So a little farther up the shore, there were two more brothers named James and John, and they were in a boat. And in the book of Luke, we read that James and John were actually business partner, partners with Simon Peter and Andrew. And when Jesus saw them, they, he called out to them at once and he said, hey, come, follow me. And they also followed him. They left their nets. They left their father Zebedee. Oh, they, oh, oh, they might've fallen in the water. Be careful. <laughs> and they went to follow Jesus with their nets still attached to them. Let's give our volunteers a great big round of applause. <laughs> oh, I love that. 
I love that. What happened that day on the Sea of Galilee, this was a pretty big deal, right? It was pretty cool. Jesus had just called his first four disciples to come and follow him. They left their jobs, they left their homes, they left their families, everything to follow Jesus. Now he said, I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. Let me explain what that means, because we're kids, we're concrete thinkers. That does not mean Jesus is going around saying, throw nets on people and catch them. That's creepy, that's weird, right? Jesus is saying, I'm gonna teach you how to share the good news about me with others. And they probably didn't realize it at the time, but Jesus was going to use these guys and eight other men, 12 disciples, to build up the kingdom in incredible ways. That's pretty awesome. All right, you guys can head back to your seats, and Pastor Grace and Pastor Teresa actually have Swedish fish. You guys can take a Swedish fish candy and head back. Yeah, let's give it up for, you can just leave the fish right there. Awesome, thanks guys for helping me tell our story. I don't know about you, but when I hear this story, my mind immediately thinks of how much courage and devotion these men must have had. I mean, they were willing to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. But there's so much more to these verses. Yes, it's that these men were saying, we're gonna leave everything behind and we're gonna follow you. But there's actually more. It's not just that they were choosing to follow Jesus, it's that Jesus chose them. Here, Jesus doesn't just invite them to follow, he's committing to pouring into them to teach them how to build up the kingdom of God and fish for people. If we want to learn how to invest in relationships, especially with the next generation, there's no greater example of how to do this than how Jesus did this, same thing with his disciples. So how did Jesus do this? That's what we're gonna take a look at today, this morning. I want to paint a picture for you of how Jesus intentionally poured into his disciples. So what we immediately see here from the very beginning of this scripture that we just heard is that Jesus took the first step. He moved toward the people that he wanted to invest in. Jesus knew the need a group of followers that he could pour into that would later start the church and share the gospel throughout the world. And he took that first step to meet that need. Jesus went to where Peter, Andrew, James, and John were comfortable, the Sea of Galilee, and he showed up in their world. He started a relationship with them. He, he showed up to where they were fishing and he made that first step. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He didn't invite them to his comfortable place. He went to their comfortable place. If we're going to invest in the next generation, we have to take the first step. We have to be willing to meet people where they are and initiate a relationship with them. We can't just sit around and wait for them to come to us because they may never come to us. We have to go to them. Also, notice that when Jesus called these four fishermen, he used language that they would be familiar with. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus said to four men who fished for a living that he was going to teach them how to fish for people. He knew them. He knew how he could relate to them. And in the same way, we have to make an effort to know the people that we're going to be pouring into. 
Now, the older I get, this gets a little more interesting for me because believe it or not, I am probably not as hip and cool as I think I am. I mean, I'm pretty hip and cool, but I don't know if I'm as hip as cool as I think I am. I am always trying to throw in some slang words, you know, like say what the kids are saying, like things that might be cool or, or lit. Am I right, teenagers? No cap. They know what I'm saying. They know what I'm saying. I've actually been told <laughs> by some teens at our church that, yeah, it's funny, but it's also really cringy that I do that. <laughs> but it's still fun. It makes them laugh. But there are so many other ways that we can get to know the next generation. And to do that, we have to spend time in their world. We have to go to their Sea of Galilee. We have to know what's important to them, their pets, the sports they play, the movies they like to watch, what's going on in their lives. We have to meet them where they are. There's something else that's pretty special and unique about how Jesus called his disciples to follow him. Traditionally, in the Jewish culture, boys from ages six to 10 would begin memorizing the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. And by the age of 10, they would have these books memorized. And then the best of the best students would move on. From roughly ages 10 to 14, they would memorize the rest of Hebrew scripture all the way through to the book of Malachi. And by 13 or 14 years of age, they would have this entire Hebrew text completely memorized. They would also begin working in the art of questions and answers. So they would start to demonstrate that they understand what they're memorizing. So if they've made it through to this point, it's determined that they're the best of the best of the best. They would go present themselves to a well-known rabbi and they would say something like, Rabbi, I want to become your disciple, your student. And then the rabbi would begin to question them because he wanted to make sure if they were really top notch because he wanted followers who were going to be able to take his interpretation of scripture to everybody. So he had to make sure that they were the real deal. So basically the rabbi is trying to figure out if the student has what it takes to do this. And if he believed that the, the student has what it takes, he would say something like, come follow me. And the student would leave everything and follow him. They would give their life to follow the rabbi everywhere. But what happens if you don't have what it takes? If you don't have what it takes to become a student of the rabbi, you would then go home and you would learn the family business. You would begin your trade. So take note of what we're seeing here in Mark chapter one. These four men that Jesus had just involved, invited to follow him were living out their, their trade. They were fishermen. They weren't chosen by the rabbi to be the best of the best. What Jesus is inviting them to is actually a pretty big deal because Jesus is saying, I believe that you can be like me. I believe that you have potential, what it takes. I believe God can use you. You guys, this is huge. No wonder they dropped their nets and immediately went to follow him. Someone believed in them. That's pretty awesome. Jesus saw the disciples' potential, and we know from reading the Gospels that these men were not perfect. They sometimes made mistakes. Often they made mistakes. But Jesus saw what they could be. He was saying, come, do life with me. 
Learn by watching me. Own my values and my priorities. Learn to become passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. And follow my example by doing the ministry that I have come to do. If we're going to invest in the next generation, we have to see their potential. We have to believe that God can use them. That no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, they have a part to play in God's story. But Jesus didn't just believe in the potential of his disciples, he actually gave them opportunities to grow and to learn. He did what he said he was going to do, teach them how to fish for people. He equipped them for the ministry that he was inviting them to be a part of, and we see this in a lot of different places in scripture. We see it when he sends out the 12 disciples that he chose, and he sends them out to go and preach and tell people to repent, to turn away from their sins and turn toward God. He sends them out to cast out evil spirits, to heal the sick, to anoint people. We see this when Jesus is teaching and a large crowd gathers around him, and the disciples are like, okay, these people are hungry, Jesus. And I love Jesus' response because he's like, okay, you feed them. And he tells them, go and gather some bread, see what bread you have. And he uses that and he multiplies it and he feeds thousands and thousands of people. We see this through Jesus teaching the disciples what it means to, to follow God and love God. We see it on the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus has crowds around him. We see it as they're sharing their last meal together, the Last Supper, Jesus is still teaching them, pouring into them. And what I love about this too is oftentimes these large crowds would gather around Jesus. And even in the midst of this larger context, Jesus is still speaking directly to the 12. He's asking them, what do you think I'm saying here? What do you think this parable, this story I just told you means? He's helping them learn. And then Jesus also modeled for his disciples what it looks like to have, to have a servant's heart. Right before he dies on the cross, right before their last meal together, he washes their feet. He doesn't just say, hey, go and do this. He does it. And he says, hey, I'm doing this for you. Now you go and serve others. If we're going to invest in the next generation, we have to give them opportunities to grow. We can't just sit around and watch, let them watch us do all the work. We have to equip them to do the work. We need to invite them to work with us. We do this in a lot of really cool ways at our church. We have age-specific ministries that teach kids, teenagers, young adults all about the Bible and what scripture says about loving God and, and what it means to follow Jesus. But we also have a lot of really incredible ways for students to use their gifts. One of the ways that we do this in our kids' ministry is through CREW. CREW is, um, the purpose of CREW is to help preteens, fifth and sixth graders, develop leadership skills and grow in the gifts that God has given them. So they serve in a variety of ways in our elementary ministry. They serve as greeters. They welcome um, new families and our regular families as well. They sit with kids who may not have anyone to sit with. They run tech. They know a lot more about tech than pretty much most of us in this room. 
They help lead worship so much more. They're learning what it looks like to see a need and meet it. We also meet once a month and we study the Bible together. We do service projects together. We are giving them opportunities to learn what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and to grow as a follower of Jesus. Opportunities to discover what it means to serve and be a part of the church. Our crew students actually helped me up here earlier in the service. They were the ones dressed up like the disciples. They have been a part of preaching to you this morning. They're being trained up as followers and disciples of Jesus. And this doesn't just stop after kids' ministry. We see this in our youth ministry as well. There's a student leadership team. There's ways for them to grow and use their gifts. We saw several of them leading worship this morning. We're helping them discover what it looks like to learn and to grow. Okay, I know we have a lot of students in here who have been a part of crew over the years, are in crew right now, or are going to be in crew this fall. If that's you, will you guys stand up so we can see? Yeah, let's celebrate this. Look at all these students. I love it. You guys can go ahead and sit down. <laughs> what I love about this group, first of all, I just feel like walk down memory lane over here. Love that. Um, what I love is that they're not just being invested in and poured into, they are investing and pouring into others. They're pointing other kids, other students to Jesus and helping them learn what it looks like to follow him. There's no age limit on this. You guys, kids are pointing other kids to Jesus. They're doing what Jesus has called us to do. At staff meeting this past week, we were sitting around talking about this idea of investing in others and especially how people have invested in us over the years. And I wish you could have heard the stories from our pastors of how others have poured into them because we all agreed that we wouldn't be where we are today if people didn't invest in us and take the time to help us grow. I think of the people who have invested in me. Uh, I think specifically of a woman named Jen. She was a 22-year-old um, who had just finished school and she moved back home and she started hanging out with a 15-year-old me. She encouraged me, she walked through life with me, we hung out, we practically did everything together. We watched High School Musical together, yeah. I think of the, the children's pastor and vacation Bible school director who let me run the preschool vacation Bible school at age 16. I think of the kids workers and youth leaders who didn't give up on me even in my stubbornness and trust me, I can be pretty stubborn and ornery at times. I wouldn't be who I am today without the investment of the church. We could go on and on this morning about how Jesus invested in his disciples, but there's one more thing that I want to highlight. I mentioned earlier that sometimes the disciples made mistakes, and I actually, I feel kind of bad for Peter because I feel like most of the mistakes we read about are his. Um, but there was specifically one moment where Peter had, had blown it pretty big. Jesus had been arrested, he was being led to the cross, and Peter ended up denying Jesus, denying that he even knew him three separate times. Now think about this. He had just spent three years learning from this man. 
and understanding what it looks like to love God and, and follow him and do ministry and life together. And in a moment, he blows it. This is a pretty heavy thing. But after Jesus died and, and came back to life, he has a conversation with Peter where he asks Peter, do you love me? He asks him that several times. And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, okay, then feed my sheep. Take care of the people who follow me. And we end up seeing Peter through this act of grace and forgiveness that Jesus shows him, we see Peter share the gospel and lead the church in incredible ways. He was the rock that Jesus built the church on. So many people became followers of Jesus because of how Jesus poured into Peter. The truth is, the next generation is going to make mistakes. They probably won't do everything perfectly. They are human, we all are. But the next generation, the people that we are investing in need people in the church to show them grace. They need to know that the church is a safe place with safe people to go to when they mess up. When we invest in the next generation in people, it's not just investing in the good moments. It's investing for the long haul. It's modeling grace and forgiveness because Jesus offers us grace and forgiveness. If we're going to invest in the next generation, we have to show them that they have a place to belong, even when they make mistakes. We have to model grace, forgiveness, and acceptance, even when they, they do something, they make a choice that they shouldn't, maybe if they think differently than we should, or like different music than we should. And this looks like continual investment through the ups and downs and through the messy. Building relationships and investing in the next generation is how we continue to build up the kingdom of God here on earth. It's how we live out Jesus' great commission of making disciples. But to do that, it takes action on our part. It requires that we take the first step, that we see a need. We don't just see a need, but we meet that need. We're willing to meet it. It requires seeing the potential that the next generation has and believing that God can use them. It requires giving the next generation opportunities to learn and grow in their faith. It means equipping them with the skills that they need to grow as followers of Jesus so that they can point other people to Jesus. And it involves showing the next generation that this is a place where they belong, regardless of who they are or what they've done. We want them here in the body of Christ. In a moment, the band is going to come forward and we're gonna have a time of response. And as we head into this time of worship and prayer, I have just one question for you. Where are you casting your net? How are you going to become fishers of people of the next generation? Because the truth is, being fishers of the next generation is not just a job for pastors. It's not just a job for parents with kids and teenagers. It's a job for the entire body of Christ. Investment mattered to Jesus, relationships mattered to Jesus, and that means that it should matter to us too. In the seats in front of you, you will find a family ministries brochure. Will you guys go ahead and grab that for me so I know that you see it? 
As we head into our time of prayer, I want to invite you to take a look at the ministries on this handout. Take some time to pray about how you can pour into the family ministries of our church. Now this is more than just kids and teenagers. It also includes our young adults, our young married couples. But ask God to speak to you about how you can cast your net and build up his kingdom, how you can fish for people. You're not too young, by the way. Teenagers, kids, I'm speaking to you. You get to do this too. This could look like serving, volunteering in our age-specific ministries, kids, teens. It could look like investing in young adults who need community. It could look like investing in young married couples who need mentorship. There's so many ways that we can invest in the next generation. So after you spend some time praying, there's a QR code on the back. Will you actually grab your phones too? This is the one time I'm gonna tell you grab your phones. After you spend some time praying and allowing the Lord to speak to you, will you scan this QR code on the back and let us know how you're going to cast your net and fish for the next generation? Whether it's kids, teenagers, young adults, or married couples, we want to partner with you. This is, we get to do this together. God has a role for you, for each of us in this room, to invest in the next generation and sharing the good news about him with others. So let's ask him to make it known to us this morning. Let's ask him to speak to us. I was thinking as we were worshiping, man, the Holy Spirit is in this room and the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you this morning. So we're gonna have our time of response. You can pray at your seats. You can come up to the altars and pray. This is time for you to connect with God and to hear what he has to say to you and I believe that he has great things to say to each of us this morning. So let's open our hearts, let's be willing and let's allow him to use us however he wants to, to build up the kingdom.